Hi, and welcome to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Schmiederer. In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place where Viking academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. So hold on to your helmets as we learn more about Vikings on that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. This time, we have Alex Milas, founder and director of Twin V, a creative solutions company, and former editor-in-chief of Metal Hammer, a monthly heavy metal and rock music magazine. He's recently produced a mini-documentary on Wardruna and their most recent album, Kvitvavn. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's just start from the very beginning. We're talking about Viking music today. Is that its own genre of music or what is it really? Can you define it for us? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question. I suppose you almost have to begin with, well, what is Viking? You know, I mean, is it the Marvel movie Thor Ragnarok vision of Vikings? Is it the Last Kingdom or the Vikings on History Channel version? Or is it a Norse history and mythology inspired brand of world music um, that's fully modern, but just incorporates ideas and concepts from that time, you know? And so I think if you can answer those, and I think we might need a few hours to do that in, (laughs) um, you can say whether it's its own thing. But I think one thing is certain is there is a vast preponderance of culture, not just music, but just all kinds of artistic expressions that in some really interesting ways incorporate a lot of things that we kind of put under a broad heading of Viking. But in many cases, we're really talking about just something that is, you know, from an area of the world um, that is really intriguing and connects with a bunch of ideas that I think we resonate with. Well, so then I guess I should ask, what are the different types of modern Viking music uh, for those of us who who aren't super into that scene? Well, it's so interesting, right? You know, because I suppose just like, you know, comic books, movies, films and all that, a lot of different genres of music, you know, have connected. And so, you know, uh, I come from a, you could say the world of heavy metal. Um, I used to run Metal Hammer magazine for about 10 years and I wrote for Kerrang! before then. Um, Uh, And my background was in archaeology. And so I was really interested to kind of see how a lot of folk music was blending with metal. And and I think if you're into uh, heavy metal, uh, then you probably know about Amon Amarth, who are obviously one of the biggest uh, death metal bands out there. And pretty much all of their music falls into three categories. Uh, Viking historical events, what it was like to be a Viking, and the things that Vikings dreamed of. And um, that's that's it, you know, and they've been going for over 25 years, and it's quite extraordinary. Um, but there are other kinds as well. And, and I suppose Wardruna, you know, uh, have headed up something that's really interesting, because while they have emerged from the world of metal, the music that Einar Selvig and Wardruna make is so completely um, distinct, because it doesn't just use traditional instrumentation from, you know, uh, Norway, it brings in didgeridoos and all kinds of modern production techniques. And so um, with them, uh, it, it seems to be that although it feels like it is old and timeless, um, the truth is it's fully modern music, but it brings in 
kind of traditional instrumentation and ways of composing um, that are really unique and and really, really interesting. So we're talking about death metal. We're talking about, of course, world music and folk music. But there are other areas as well. I mean, just I mean, you only have to look at Led Zeppelin singing about uh, immigrant song to know that uh, Vikings and Norse mythology have occupied a musical headspace for a really long time. And uh, yeah, all the signposts exist in every decade, not just now. That's incredible. Well, you mentioned Wardruna's use of instruments that the Vikings would have used as well. Can we expect any sort of level of authenticity when we listen to music that's inspired by Viking culture? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting question because, of course, uh, one of the biggest frustrations um, about, you know, Nordic history is that, that they didn't really write things down, you know. And so what's quite interesting is that, you know, despite the kind of like runic in- inscriptions that archaeologists have been, you know, uncovering or have sort of remained for a long time, there is a lot about their life ways that just isn't really known, you know. I mean, you can kind of recreate Gregorian chants based on the things that they actually stuck into books. Um, but when it comes to a lot of Viking music, I mean, you can know what the instruments look like, but what's so interesting about Wardruna and Einar's journey is that he's kind of had to figure out the sounds that he could summon from many of those instruments and what he could reconstruct by using kind of, uh, you know, analogs um, that are still played today in traditional societies. And so, so what he has summoned, I think, isn't necessarily authentic in that sense. It, in, in some way, I think it's important to kind of, you know, point out that he himself will frequently say this, you know, he is, this is his interpretation, but he's not trying to reconstruct music from the past. This is music about what's happening right now. It just has a really unique angle. But, you know, uh, talking about didgeridoos, these are instruments from Australia, and he brings that into his music. I mean, so he does something that I think is actually, in in one sense, very traditionally Viking, because as we know from their society, they were great adapters um, and incredible hybridizers that they brought in the things that they learned and they were very into syncretizing um you know both beliefs and also ways of doing things you know because they were innovators and and what do all great innovators do they learn they don't just try and preserve you know some kind of i guess artificially constructed sense of you know cultural purity um they 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 were traders they were travelers um they observed things and they brought them back and so in that sense wardruna is probably the most accurate expression of what their music may have been like because i'd like to think that if they traveled to the Middle East to trade, that they would have brought back some of the sounds as well. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Wardruna does. Exactly. If the Vikings had had access to didgeridoos, I'm sure they would have used them. There's not a doubt in my mind, really. In your documentary for Metal Hammer, you look at a modern Viking festival that features a lot of heavy metal music. What do you think metal, rather than other genres of music, utilize from Viking culture and imagery? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I think that, you know, uh, I mean, metal music is very, uh, and I think you're talking about Midgardsblad Festival, which is, of yes. course, in the south of Norway. And what's interesting about that one is it's actually set among these historic burial mounds, just where the Kattegat Sea becomes the Oslo Fjord, which uh, kind of goes up. And it's a really interesting place to be and very historically significant. And of course, this is like the most metal setting you could ever have. But it was also what was interesting about that festival was it wasn't just metal music that you had. You had all kinds of folk music. You had storytellers. And I think that that was very emblematic of 
I think, a, a vibe among a lot of metal listeners um, where they're actually very open to kind of new things and new experiences. And I think it's because it's not just about the music. It is a culture that's very responsive. And there is so much about, I think, what, you know, uh, Nordic cultures represent, you know, in the modern era, you know, in terms of their their animism, their regard for nature, um, you know, and all those things that I think resonate powerfully. And I think metal and, and rock music are, are areas of music that have really resonated. But, but then Wardruna, when you listen to it, it's not metal at all. Um, you know, it is something else, you know, entirely. But the, uh, the, there is a kinship there uh, where it's cut from the same kind of fabric. And I think that's why it worked, you know, years ago, you know, in the metal community, but also why it's transcended genre completely, because it sounds like kind of nothing else that's out there. And so a frequent conversation is, well, how do you categorize it? Well, the truth is, um, it's almost like world music, but coming from a, a really unique angle, because it is both historical as well as, you know, situated geographically. And I think that's, that's, that's what makes it so interesting is you don't actually have to come from any specific musical background or taste to appreciate what they're doing. You mentioned in our email chain for this that if somebody would have told you that a, a Norse folk artist would have been charting worldwide, you would have thought that they were crazy 10 years ago. Why do you think that all of a sudden in this moment, Wardruna and just Viking music in as a whole is doing so well? Why is it resonating with with modern audiences? Well, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to bring too much of myself into this, you know, but um, to, to take it completely out of this, um, you know, uh, I used to do uh, kendo, uh, which is like a Japanese fencing right mm -hmm. uh you know and uh you know part of it was zen meditation and don't worry this story has an end um <laughs> but you um uh you learn how to meditate and uh, if you keep at it you know you you, you end up going to like a, a zen monastery usually to kind of spend some time simply learning you know their method of meditation and clearing the mind and i remember speaking to a, an old monk she was from france and um she was telling me how in the Far East, um, a lot of people, you know, kind of practice Zen Buddhism, you know, because they want to, uh, you know, kind of progress, you know, something that they've been born with and all that. Whereas in the West, a lot of people, they come to it because uh, it's like a cure for a sickness, you know, because in, in I think our modern lives, you know, we're so completely overwhelmed with, uh, you know, social media, you know, advertising, you know, kind of like consumer driven, you know, life choices, just all kinds of stuff. It's very rare that we kind of sit down and meditate. And I think there's something about Wardruna that is also very spiritual for people. Um, it is meditative um, and it comes from a, a deep place. And I think that's why it has that universal appeal. It's not just the beauty of the music. I think it touches a part of us that other music doesn't necessarily. I mean, so to be honest, if I had to compare it, I would compare it to a traditional, you know, spiritual music. Although that's not to say that's where Einar is coming from, but it seems to occupy a same kind of space. You know, I mean, there's something so special about it, but if you have the benefit of going to a physical event, a live show, and you go to a Wardrena show, what's so interesting is to see the cross-section of people that show up. And it seems everywhere because I think Wardrena has a universal appeal, which is unlikely because everything about popular music tells us it needs to be, frankly, idiotic in order to kind of have mass appeal. Whereas Wardrena is anything but, and yet it has achieved this commercial success, which I think, you know, beyond the talking about Viking culture, or whatever else, I think is a lesson to say that now, I mean, people are hungry for something and the listening public can be credited with a little more intelligence than most of the kind of music that you find in pop chart. And to me, that is a really validating thing to see um, because, you know, you, you listen to kind of what gets to, you know, number one sometimes, and, and it can be a little depressing. 
Fair, fair. And I think that hopefully once all of this is over and there isn't a, a live Wardruna concert, I think that their audience might have diversified even more since their last one. I think they're going to bring an entirely new audience to their music, or I hope anyway. I really hope so too. You know, um, I, I, I think that there's something so wonderful about what Einar is doing because it's so well-researched. It's so conscientious, you know, I mean, just like, you know, he is such a, a very sensitive and thoughtful artist, you know? Um, so that, I mean, there, there is just not an ounce of cynicism in him or about what he's doing. I mean, you know, you can be sure that everything about the music is deliberate, you know, and it's there for a reason. And um, I think that's really special. And I think that, you know, the most important audience are the kids you know um yeah. you know you know who get to go along as well because because they go to it without any kind of cultural baggage or preconception about you know just like what this what music can be um what history can be um and what discovery can be as well and so that's what's really exciting i think is just that uh, there's a whole generation of people that might be exposed to this early on you know um and it will set them on a really important and rewarding path you mentioned that you have a background in archaeology. Do you feel that that background gives you a different perspective on their music, specifically on what Wardruna are doing? Yeah, um, I, I think there's a reason why um, it resonated so powerfully with me when I first heard it, um, was because it sort of tripped the same kind of uh, curiosities that I had, you know, when I was, you know, an archaeologist and also an anthropologist as well, because uh, it's, there's something so complex happening with that music. It is it is beautiful, um, but it's also very deep. You know, um, you only have to uh, look at some of the interviews that Einar has given and um, some of the research that he's done. I mean, you know, he uh, gives lectures, you know, he speaks to archaeologists himself as an authority figure who, uh, you know, has spent a lot of time literally uncovering these mysteries. Because, I mean, this is the, the weird thing, going back to what I said before about how there's so much about kind of Viking um, history that just wasn't written down. There's still very much that we just don't know, you know, because what you're doing is you're almost doing a bit of detective work, trying to reconstruct a history that happened over a thousand years ago about these mysterious people. As we know, Vikings op occupy very popular imagination when it comes to what they look like, what they were, um, what they sound like and all those sorts of things. And, and Einar, um, I think why I resonate with him is because he is not merely a musician. What he's undertaken is very similar to academic research. In fact, it is academic. And um, he has not just endeavored to make good music. He's also endeavor to create something that is historically and culturally rooted. And that's why I think it's so interesting. And I think that's why uh, he is a person who is just as interesting to hear speak as he is to hear play. Well, I work for an archaeological company, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask what you did or if you went on any digs or what your favorite artifact you might have found was. I, I just really need to know a bit more about that, if that's okay. No, of course. No, it's a delight. Yeah, I mean, I am um, like a lot of, uh, you know, Americans. Uh, I um, began my archaeological journey as an anthropologist, you know, um, that was my bachelor's. And, uh, you know, I, I began to get into uh, slave archaeology in the States, mm -hmm. which is why I'm distinctly interested in the reconstruction of, you know, uh, not the reconstruction of history. That's a problematic view to take. It's more about, you know, kind of telling stories um, that are untold and undocumented. And I think that anybody who's familiar with American history knows that there are vast swathes of people who have never had their stories told. And so um, living in Virginia, you know, plantation archaeology was, you know, of distinct, you know, interest because for a long time, um, what, you know, a lot of archaeology and history was, was reconstructing the lives of uh, politically powerful white people. And, um, you know, what was far more interesting to, uh, you know, uh, my first uh, professor, you know, kind of passed on that intrigue to me 
was just trying to reconstruct the lives of people that that were undocumented, you know, and just like learn who they were. And um, that's something that carried into philosophy and uh, my journey, you know, here to, you know, uh, the UK where I studied at UCL um, and uh, began to develop an interest in industrial archaeology. Again, looking at the lives of factory workers, you know, in the uh, 1800s. And again, you know, you could say people whose lives were not really written about. Um, I mean, you could extract a lot from like, you know, texts like, you know, you know, Dickens and all these other things, you know, but, um, but it was just something that was really interesting to me because there, and I don't know if you feel this way as an archaeologist, but to me, it kind of felt like it's not just an opportunity to kind of tell the stories of people whose stories have not been told or maybe not celebrated, but also it's a way of writing historical wrongs, you know, um, because mm -hmm. it's a way of giving a voice to people um, who have not had their stories told. And that's, to me, what makes things like Wardruna important, because it's the same level of care that, you know, I think archaeologists take and, you know, how they tell stories, you know, because there's always political dimensions. It's the same level of care that, you know, I see in what Einar does regards to his music. He's careful and he is thoughtful. Um, and as I was saying before, yeah, um, really deliberate, which is, I think, why I can say personally, it really resonated with me the first time I heard it. It was special. Um, but meeting him and interviewing him for the first time years ago was even more special. Yeah, obviously, we're really big fans of Wardruna and Einar here at, at Jorvik. He tends to blend modern and traditional sounds to make something that's just so epic, really. You've just released a mini documentary about Wardruna and their new album. What was it like to work with them? How much of the history and archaeology of Vikings do they put into their music and method? Oh, well, you know, that's a great question. And uh, yeah, it's so interesting to kind of uh, have seen his process. You know, um, you know we went to his studio. Uh, and we walked out in the woods with him, you know, just around um, where there are these ancient mounds and burial sites and um, standing stones and so on. And you really get a distinct sense that um, this is much more than music for him. It's like a, it is a, uh, it is a life way for him. You know, um, you know, what he does comes from a place of very deep belief uh, and uh, kind of witnessing that. And in archaeology, um, you would call it a phenomenological approach, which is basically where it's not just reading or researching things, it's also going and experiencing them as well. And, you know, some of the themes that he wanted to tap into in the new album had to do with, you know, you know, ancient ideas, you know, sorcery and so on, but not like in a kind of like wearing a wizard hat sense, more like, uh, you know, going out, sitting in the woods watching the sun go down and not moving until the sun goes up, you know, and literally just absorbing the sounds and the feelings and sensations that come from that. You know, that's that's the core of what a lot of this album is about, you know, um, this concept of animism. You know, there's a great quote in um, one of the uh, those webisodes that we did uh, where he talks about, you know, a lot of the problems that we ran into kind of happened when we we took the sacred out of the earth and put it into the sky, you know, which is a, a simple way of describing a really complex and abstract thing, um, which is a very modern problem. I mean, there is much about Wardruna that addresses um, environmental concerns, obviously our current situation with COVID. You know, um, it deals very, uh, I think, cleverly and intelligently with issues of the environment and our relationship with nature that aren't, these aren't ancient problems. These are, these are problems that are affecting us right now. And so again, it's modern music, but there's also modern motivations behind it as well. 
Well, I think that you can definitely feel those inspirations when you listen to it, especially I just recently listened to it all, all in one go. And it's just this entire experience. The songs just work really well together to kind of create this whole atmosphere almost. It's amazing. Einar was involved in the music for, well, a lot of Viking popular culture, but specifically the show Vikings and the new Assassin's Creed. Do you think that this has helped bring people to Viking music specifically? Does it make them rethink what Viking culture might have been like? Yeah, I, you know, that's, a, that's such a great um, way of framing it because I think that, yes, um, it does. I mean, you only have to look around to kind of see the preponderance of, you know, just um, Viking depictions in popular culture, you know. Um, you know, we mentioned Marvel comics, you know, um, you, you just kind of, well, I mean, just look at what Jorvik is doing. I mean, just look at the kind of, th these are not people with niche interests who are coming and stimulated by this whole thing. I mean, just like, you know, just like when the physical event is there, it is absolutely astonishing how many people turn up who are both dressed as Vikings, but also the people that are there to kind of watch the spectacle. Um, there is popular appeal, I think, because I think Vikings, they occupy uh, a really stimulating uh, conceptual space, you know, um, you know, far from the kind of like the plastic horned helmet, you know, visions that I think many of us grew up with. Um, I think that what's emerging now is a vision of Vikings who um, they were complex beings with complex internal politics as well, you know, um, not just like the raiders of yore, but also explorers, farmers, um, people who lived in all kinds of different ways. And I think it's simply, and I'm speaking as an archaeologist here, um, because there was a lack of uh, historical documentation because they did not self-document, for instance, the way even the Romans did. There is so much about our current lifeways here in the West that were probably influenced by them um, that w there are many things that we probably do say and, you know, um, are influenced by that, that we don't even realize really kind of, you know, came from them. You know, I mean, when I was a kid and this was a very long time ago, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you always kind of, you always heard about Christopher Columbus, you know, um, you heard very little about life Erickson, for instance, and all that. And it's just like some of the achievements, you know, that um, we've only sort of, you know, pulled from the sagas, you know, are absolutely mind blowing. So you just try and imagine what else is there that we just don't know about yet. It's really interesting and stimulating. And I, and I think that's what really makes Viking so, so compelling as a subject and why it is so popular now it's because there's a mystery there, you know, because we don't really know and we're still kind of mapping out who they were. I think that kind of brings us to my last question then really. How have you seen Einar develop as an artist? Do you think he's changed quite a lot since you first interviewed him all those years ago? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think certainly, um, you know, having been fortunate to kind of interact with him early on um, when I was at, uh, you know, Metal Hammer, I, I, I think he's grown in confidence, you know, in a way that uh, only happens when you have the validation of success, you know, um, what something that comes, and I don't think any artist, you know, who is true to themselves ever feels completely successful or that their job is done you know, uh, because there's always more to be done and you're always looking to the next horizon. But um, I think if if one thing has changed, I think seeing the appeal, and I think this is something that I can say to, um, on behalf of everybody that's worked with him as well, you know, just like, you know, the management, the music labels, you know, all the people that are sort of behind and around him, you know, seeing this music connect with so many people from around the world is so... Uh, important but it truly is something that nobody could have predicted you know um you know and, and i think it could only come from a huge amount of hard work um incremental and slow strategy because this is not the kind of thing that you can just sort of drop 
you know, um, it, it's, you know, the, the, the success that we've seen over the last few weeks, you know, for, for the new record is a product of years of careful plotting and incremental growth and all that, because there's, you know, as much as I would love to see one, there is no, um, you know, kind of Norse folk music magazine that you can easily <laughs> drop this in. You know, so it, it's just one of those uh, things where um, it's come from a lot of belief and hard work and above all else, just, just making really good music. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again, Alex. If you'd like to watch Alex's documentary on Wardruna, check out our show notes. And don't forget, Alex will be hosting our special live stream event, An Evening with Einar Selvig, coming up on Saturday, the 19th of February. Get your tickets before they're gone. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is an Audible associate. If you sign up for a free 30-day Audible trial using the code VIKINGTHING-21, you'll get a free audiobook download, and you'll also be supporting your favorite Viking podcast. Even better, the audiobook is yours to keep forever, no strings attached. This time, we recommend History of Heavy Metal, written and narrated by Andrew O'Neill. The History of Heavy Metal brings us extraordinary stories of larger-than-life characters living to excess, from the household names of Ozzy Osbourne, Iron Maiden, and Metallica, to the brutal notoriety of the underground Norwegian black metal scene and the new wave of British heavy metal. Thank you for listening to That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support That Jorvik Viking Thing, visit jorvikthing.com to make a donation, as well as to find a whole horde of Viking-related content. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeological Trust, researched by Miranda Schmiederer and Ashley Fisher, produced by Ashley Fisher, sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.